Hello and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. In this episode of the Fidelity ETF Exchange, host Etienne Jean-Capouchard welcomes Bobby Barnes to the show. Bobby is head of Quantitative Index Solutions at Fidelity Investments based out of Boston. Etienne and Bobby provide a recap of equity markets from a factor perspective for 2022. Some of the key topics discussed today include a review of where we are in the market and economic cycle, which factors worked and didn't work over the past year, and how to use factor ETFs to diversify the equity sleeve of a portfolio. They also look at potential positioning for a challenging year ahead in 2023. This podcast was recorded on November 29th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange. I'm your host, Etienne Jean-Cabouchard, aka EJB. And I'm very glad to, to be back in this home studio doing another episode of our uh, ETF podcast. Uh, very happy to be welcoming on a recurring guest today, uh, Bobby Barnes. Uh, Bobby is head of quantitative index solutions at Fidelity Investments out of Boston. He's really responsible for, or I guess the uh, the godfather, if you will, of our factor lineup here in, in Canada. So always a great resource to share his opinions on markets on stocks, uh, on which factors, you know, he sees, you know, well positioned going forward, what, you know, some recap on what's happened in the past. And the idea of today's episode is as we get close to year end, I mean, it's almost, it's almost December already. Crazy how times fly in this, you know, fairly volatile uh, year for, for stocks, for, for, for bonds, for, for pretty much every risk asset out there. Um, I'm happy that, you know, we've been able to, to, uh, to get through this and, and maybe turn the page for, for, for next year. But before we get started on our discussion, I just want to quickly remind everyone that our last episode, uh, which I did with one of our ETF analysts here at Fidelity Canada, Christopher Drynan, we recapped the quarter uh, for the Canadian ETF industry, looking at flows, uh, some of the key topics that we discussed there. Cash alternatives have been extremely popular in the Canadian marketplace, uh, why, why that is. Uh, we've also talked about, you know, some uh, some various styles, sectors that have, you know, performed better than others. We've also talked about bonds, which are, you know, I think for the first time in a very long time are showing some signs of life with with fairly attractive yields across uh, various sectors. Uh, so we talked about that opportunity a little bit. So anybody who's interested in listening to that, it is available on fidelity.ca and or your favorite podcast app under Fidelity Connects and the ETF Exchange. All right, so let's get started. Bobby, I always like to start when we have, you know, a conversation like this and sit down to, to get your 30,000 foot view, if you will. Um, what are your thoughts on markets? Um, what are some of the key themes or data points that you're looking at right now that uh, that are likely to drive performance as we move forward? 
EJB, thanks for uh, having me. And uh, sure, yeah, happy to kick us off with the 30,000 foot uh, view. Uh, so I always find it helpful to start by just kind of recapping where we are, where we've been in the, in yeah. the state of the landscape. Um, and so, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were coming off of uh, still what I would call, describe as the reopening story. We had reaccelerating uh, economic activity and then and stock level earnings as a result of that. Um, you know, that led to pro-cyclical stocks and factors uh, to outperform over the course of 2021. And then uh, we entered into, into 2022 and still saw um, uh, the, the remnants, I would describe that, as, of that um, uh, finishing off and say, call it the first quarter or so. Uh, but then after that, and, um, you know, your, your mm -hmm. viewers who've heard me uh, speak before will recall, uh, you know, I predicted that in 2022, it would be characterized mostly uh, as an environment of slowing economic growth. Um, and, and that's, you know, now that we're sitting in November, largely what we saw. And, and so, you know, uh, I typically look at the uh, ISM as just one of the ways, one of, one of the expressions of economic activity. Uh, but, you know, there are many others you can look at. Um, and, you know, and it, it was the case that uh, we, we were in, um, I think we were in the uh, high 50s on that particular indicator at the start of the year. And we spent most uh, of the year uh, having that in a um, and a declining trend, uh, and even as it stands today, we're we're barely, um, you know, by this our finger fingernails <laughs> holding on to a, a level above fifty, uh, which uh, yeah. for your listeners is uh, any a value above fifty represents expansion, economic expansion, and then a value below fifty represents contraction. So we're we're still expanding, but barely. We're I think we're at a last reading uh, as the last month was 50.7. So uh, barely holding on to it. Uh, but yeah, it's been declining throughout the throughout the uh, uh, the entire year. Um, and so as a result of that, um, you know, we've we've seen uh, defense uh, work uh, from a, you know, factor or stock yeah. uh, or sector perspective. Um, and and so uh, in on the factor space, that's low vol has been actually um, when I was just looking, I think from a uh, factor perspective, low vol has been one of the best factors year to date. Uh, but then, uh, you know, kind of uh, counter to that trend, you've also have had very good uh, performance from value, which has yeah. been a, a bit of a su surprise to me. But I think that there's um, a couple of things maybe driving that. And, and so, you know, uh, things to think about as we look out to 2023. Uh, but that's the, the backdrop of where we've been. Yeah. And so just to kind of get a quick plug for my thinking in 2023, uh, I know, uh, I think I was with your viewers here at the start of the year, and I was hesitant at the time to um, uh, to, to lean in or or to prescribe uh, a recession, you know, the big R words. I yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and for now, I'm not ready to use that yet. Um, sitting where we are now in the, at the end of November of this year and looking out into 2023, um, I think it's pretty much baking, baked into the cake now. The R word, recession, let's go ahead and cozy up to it. Uh, I do expect there to be an economic uh, contraction. So uh, mm -hmm. negative earnings growth in 2023. And I think there are um, a couple of drivers behind that. Um, and so given uh, that expectation, uh, from a factor perspective, there are a couple of ways to play it. But the, the overarching takeaway is that you want to be defensively positioned uh, should that um, forecast play out into 2023. Really interesting. And I mean, we're, we're going to take about 30 minutes to unpack 
all of that. Uh, but I think it's one thing to also just to um, maybe to remind investors and advisors that may be listening to this that, you know, just because now, like you mentioned, Bobby, that it's kind of baked in almost where in the sense that like it's likely going to happen, that there's going to be some type of econ- economic activity contraction that doesn't necessarily auto- you know automatically mean that you're not going to have a good year f- for markets. Usually, you know, markets tend to bottom before we actually see the end of a, a recessionary period. So I'll just start with that, just so, so we keep everybody optimistic a little bit. You know that there, uh, you know, could be some some opportunities that arise as as we get there. But um, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to discuss is kind of that, I guess, stickiness of value relative performance, if you will, right? Like it's done well. I think the first couple of months of the year, when the market was priced, trying to figure out how many, just how many hikes. Are central banks going to be able to to push through the system? That's really when value had its its moment in the sun, if you will, when long duration equities and bonds were the ones taking the you know the the, the biggest hits. Where you know buying cheaper stocks on a relative basis, you had less sensitivity to those moves higher. Like we didn't see the rate hikes, but we were seeing markets pricing in those hikes, and that's really when. Uh, value did extremely well because if you look past the first quarter, it feels like it's more or less flat, right, relative to to the to, to the benchmarks instead of in in terms of performance. Do you think that we could stay in that type of environment where it's just you know there's not a real strong leadership from any given factor? Because it feels like over the past six months, it's yes, quality and low vol seem to have to pick back up a little bit, but it's not like a wide margin like we'd seen in in past, uh, you know, past periods, for example. Yeah, EJP, you make a couple of interesting um, observations there. And and so, and yes, you know, um, you know, consistent with what uh, you've been seeing uh, with respect to to value it, I mean, it's outperformance year to date, a lot of that did occur in um, called that first quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then specifically with the some of the things that I look at, uh, in particular, I look at estimate revisions and yep. where fundamentals are or business is getting better for for stocks or factors uh, versus versus uh, not. And uh, and in, in my research over the course of my career, I found that that's the uh, biggest predictor of return for stocks and, and sectors and factors. You call it industries, you know, this estimate revisions. Um, and and so it was actually um, I would extend it a little bit. I think when I was. Uh, uh, real time, it was uh, value was actually having um, positive relative uh, earnings revisions in Q1 mm-hmm. of this year and um, even into, into Q2. Okay. But it was really around June where I saw it peter out and then reverse, actually. And, and, and so their estimate revisions have have not kept up with uh, the market. Um, and, and that's, I think, a bit expected, given that uh, cheap stocks tend to be more economically sensitive. And so in a slowing growth environment, um, you expect the, uh, the revisions or surprises to be to the downside. Um, but all that being said, the, the interesting thing that um, um, keeps me, you know, uh, thinking about this problem is there's a I call it an algebra problem where uh, if I pick it back off a comment you just made about the expensive long duration stocks yeah. and the, the pounding that they've really taken year to date. Um, you know, their earnings were well off into the future. And so, uh, you know, the rising its interest rates and, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, the discount rate that you apply because yep. of that, you know, really cost of capital those, going up. Uh, yeah, for those and cause those stocks to underperform. And so the math problem is, well, you know, if I if I divide the entire market into two halves, one half being the cheap stuff and then the other being the long duration stuff, it's almost a certainty that if the if the long duration expensive stuff gets gets pounded enough, then on a relative basis, the, the value stocks have to outperform. It's just kind of yeah. the way math works. Um, and so that's the one um, puzzling piece uh, as I look out to 2023 that I'm still struggling with how to address that because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as I, as I, you know, gave the early prelude to, I think, um, you know, we will have a slow, oh, a contraction in economic activity. Uh, and so all things being equal, that's normally a, a headwind to, to cheap stocks and they typically don't outperform. Uh, but there could be a scenario just because of the the way the algebra works, where if the long duration stuff gets beaten up enough, then yeah. just you know the cheap stocks would would necessarily then uh, outperform as a result of that. And so for the ex- really ex- you know kind of the the other end of the spectrum, right to to value stocks like you mentioned is kind of those blue sky growth names that you know are probably down eight you know seventy to ninety percent if you will this year. Um, you know, is, is there no positive case for for that stuff? Like what's, is there a way that that could work or is there just, unless, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a broken growth story, right. That kind of was created by the, 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 the excess that we saw post COVID-19 with regards to, there was just a lot of capital available and people were, you know, buying up these, these companies, investing in private companies and doing all this. Is, is that just, is that not fixable or is there some areas of the growth space? And it's, I know it's not a particular factor to say like just revenue growth or earnings growth, but is the growth space broken or is there something that, that's fixable there? And are, could there be opportunities if we head into a, once again, a low growth environment, kind of like what we saw pre, pre, pre uh, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, yes. Uh, so a couple of things there, and this gets into what I like to call the uh, anatomy and mechanics of the stock market. And so the, on the anatomy side, it's just a matter of knowing, uh, you know, what are, the, what are the chips that you're that you're playing with? What are the different players on the field, right? And yep. then the mechanics gets into the, how do they interact with each other? Uh, and so within growth, just to kind of, you know, explain some anatomy here, um, there are two types of growth, and uh, and so there's the the what I call the quality growth, uh, which is those companies that um, are uh, they're still growth but well established. They they have profits. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't as uh, dependent on free capital, um, and so you know, uh, and then these are all well known names. Um, you know, a lot of the fanged cohort cohort that yeah. we're familiar with would fall into that category. Um, but then the on the other side of the coin, you have the speculative growth. Yeah. And so that's where your your non earners were. These companies were only getting by because because uh, money was basically free. You could borrow it next to nothing, and and use that to fund uh, your growth. And so that stuff uh, in a slowing uh, economic environment like we've been in, uh, not only slowing but then also just the availability of capital has been <clears throat> uh, retreating. Uh, that's you know that stuff was you know struggles in that type of environment. I think it will continue to struggle. Um, uh, if we do get the earnings recession uh, that that that, I, uh, that I'm forecasting for mm-hmm. 2023, all that being said, is that there is a time and place to buy that stuff. Though, 
Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, 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 let me be clear here. We're too early. It's not, don't do it yet. Don't jump in yet. But um, typically what happens is if we do have um, an, an earnings contraction, then usually that's associated with um, a down market. But to your point, I mean, I don't, I don't get really get into market timing. You yeah. know, I, I prefer people to be fully invested at all times and then just kind of allocate to the different types of stocks that are likely outperform. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, it is typically the case that the, uh, the market goes down when um, earnings are contracting. But then when you get into the recovery, um, it's you have what's called the what I call the worst to first trade. And it, it's it's the best time to be a, to be an investor because it's, uh, you know, you've probably heard the analogy about a, a monkey throwing darts and being able to be <laughs> yeah. a stock picker. That's in the recovery. That's when they shine. That's when they shine. <laughs> yeah. In a recovery, like everybody can make money. If you just you can be a monkey and just just pick whatever stocks that the, the, the darts hit. Um, and not only will they do well, they'll do exceptionally well. That's you know, if you look at the stats on this stuff. Um, and so the 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 speculative growth stuff is going to, you know, for those companies that survive, uh, whenever you and I, you know convene again and yeah. hopefully we'll be on the other side of this that's going to be the best stuff to own uh mm -hmm. in that recovery environment but you know we're in we're in we haven't hit rock bottom yet you know yeah, yeah. we have we haven't gone okay I, I and i think that's really interesting because one of the uh you know you differentiated both of those i think growth segments if you will the quality growth stuff and let me just trim out growth and just let's talk quality quality earners and you know i think a lot of discussions been had, I think, over the past couple of months, especially as we head into this kind of economic slowdown where high quality stocks tend to do well when there is earnings volatility, particularly because that's actually something that we're that we're looking for. Right. We want stable free cash flows. And, you know, some of the research that we've done anyways on, on our end here is looking at uh, the impact of, of high increases in producer prices and how that impacts, uh, you know, margins in the future. So you mentioned, for example, negative earnings revisions being a, a good leader. You know, one thing that we're, we're somewhat expecting, which would be generally speaking, detrimental to to markets would be a, a margins compressing uh, quite a bit as we head into next year, as this inflation that we've seen on the headline numbers actually flows through into financial statements type thing. Is, is quality an area that, you know, or I guess, is earnings quality going to be particularly important as we go into next year? And I, I you know, I, I think you, you did mention that a little bit as we go into, you know, saying those lower beta, you know, low vol companies, that is one of the characteristics that they display also, but just trying to focus on businesses that are going to, that have pricing power. Is that, is that going to be crucial as we head into that kind of next phase where the, you have to be less dependent on what the cycle's doing and more on your operations as a business? So I, I definitely still have a preference for companies that have, uh, you know, pricing power um, and stability of, of earnings, uh, you know, high profit, profitability and the like. Yeah. Uh, but there is uh, a discussion point that's worth noting with respect to quality. Um, and it's that, um, you know, in full candor, uh, you know, based off of the data I have in front of me, uh, year to date, uh, it is a case that, you know, we'll call it the performance of quality has been roughly flat. Mm hmm. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you, you, you would have expected quality to have um, much uh, stronger relative performance, given the economic backdrop that we've been in uh, year to date with slowing growth. 
And so, uh, and so the one thing that I would note there is I, you know, I'd done some some work unpacking, uh, you know, you know, why hasn't quality performed year to date in the way that we would have expected it to outperform, uh, all things being equal. And the interesting thing that I found was that uh, a lot of the highest quality companies were actually uh, COVID beneficiaries, um, and they were beneficiaries in two ways. Um, uh, in one way, and I know uh, I'm not sure how much of this there was in, in Canada, but in in, in the uh, U.S. market, um, uh, we had uh, what we called um, non-essential businesses. And so, if you if you were if you were labeled a non-essential business, you you had to close with the shutdown, and only essential businesses were allowed to uh, to remain open. Um, and and most of those were you know at the time already in the the highest quintile of quality. So mm. they would have been in and in, in, in a high quality um, uh, factor ETF. And so and so that 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 caused them to over earn during the pandemic. Um, and and so and so I'm seeing some of that unwinding uh, uh, year to date as consumers went from only being able to stay at home and online shop at the big box you know essential business that was allowed to stay open and now you've got other things competing for their share of wallet uh, like vacations like the one I just returned from yesterday. Oh, nice, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the other thing that's been a headwind of quality is um, uh, pull forward. Um, and so I mentioned, um, so the first part is mixed shift where you took your disposable, uh, money and it, it all kind of went to only those high quality businesses allowed to stay open. Um, and then, um, for a lot of those, you also had a pull forward of demand, um, where, you know, uh, you know, like a lot of your high quality cloud companies, as an example, um, the COVID crisis, you know, caused everyone to go to, uh, mm-hmm. to the cloud and to, you know, online streaming platforms like the Zoom call you and I are on now. Um, and again, that a lot of that is unwinding. And so that's been a headwind um, uh, to the quality factor year to date. But all that being said, you know, with my outlook for 2023, I'm not going to abandon quality. But, you know, if, if I had to rank order uh, the factors that, that uh, I would prescribe for the 2023, uh, instead of being first place, maybe it's you know, second or third uh, you know, quality that is, uh, given some of those headwinds that I've I've uh, unpacked that and okay. seen for 2022. And, and so num- number one on top of that list then would be low volatility. Is that cor- would that be correct or? Yeah, yeah. So number one would be low volatility because you get you get some of those same properties uh, that you mentioned. Um, uh, you know, recurring high recurring revenue. Um, you know, pricing power, stability of free cash flow and yeah. earnings. All that you know, those same attributes. Um, but you know, low volatility is is nuanced in the way that you know when you look at the the lowest volatility companies, you, you're not getting as much exposure to those COVID beneficiaries where um, they over earned, and and you're seeing you know some unwinding mm-hmm. of that over earning right now. And so for that reason, uh, I would place uh, low vol number one. Okay. So one, you know, I guess I'll play devil's advocate here uh, with you, Bobby. One of the things that we've uh, that we've seen is a lot of those because Lovell has done quite well this year, too. And and from a valuation perspective, it seems like you are paying a lot for defense right now. Anyways, on, you know, looking at a simple, say, P.E. relative to the market or even a price to book relative to the market, it seems like. It, 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 you know, it's costing you a lot on a relative basis to own defense right now. Is that has that historically been? 
uh, some like a headwind, is that important for, for relative performance? Or is it just telling you like, you know, it sucks right now. You're going to pay a little more to own this stuff, but it's probably going to still do what it's supposed to type thing. Is, you know, is that something that you've noticed or, or that impacts it? So I'm so glad you asked that question. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll step back again to my uh, uh, description of the anatomy and the mechanics of the market. Um, and so, uh, you know, you're asking me now about factor valuations and whether or not yeah. they, they matter for factor performance. Um, it's it, it absolutely is something that I look at. And so, um, you know, it's one of the chips on the board. <laughs> and so yeah. that's part of the anatomy. If we get into the mechanics, though, valuation dictates how much you get paid, but not if you get paid. Okay. And so to, to explain that further um, and, and to piggyback off a comment I made earlier, uh, relative earning revisions dictates whether or not a stock or a factor is going to outperform. That's the if. So the first uh, you know, uh, lever is, you know, do you have relative uh, earnings revisions that are better than the market? If yes, then the valuation determines by how much are you going to outperform with, uh, with, with, the, with it being the case that if you're, if you, if you're cheaper and have, mm -hmm. um, you know, so call it, you know, I'm just making up a number here, 50% faster revisions, then you're going to get, get paid more than if you had that same 50% relative revisions, but you were on the more expensive side. And so where the, all that comes together is, you know, uh, you know, yes, it could be the case that um, low ball uh, would be, have on a valuation perspective, be more expensive than let's call it the historical average. But in times of uh, stress, market stress, where, you know, you've got mm -hmm. slowing growth or even contracting growth, which is what I'm forecasting for 2023, um, it's, you've got the, 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 the dynamic is such that it's low ball or quality at any price. It doesn't matter what the valuation yeah. is. It's the, the relative revisions uh, that, that, that's most important. Um, but then when you come in, when you, once the market troughs or the economic activity troughs and you get that reacceleration, that's when you don't want to get caught holding the inexpensive low ball bag because uh, you know, the future revisions are going to be in the pro-cyclical factors. And that's where you want to want to be. That's, that's really, really interesting. And I think it's, it's, it's something that also we can, we can take to apply to a factor, like, for example, on the complete opposite side of value, which is like, it's still extremely cheap on a relative basis, but it's just not the right time potentially to, to, to see that potential excess, excess return, like we've seen over the past, say, you know, call it 18 months. Uh, really, really interesting stuff there. I guess I'll have I have one last question for you, Bobby, before we stop. And obviously, um, you know, we've we're already about 25 minutes in or so and like to keep these nice and tight in 30 minutes. And one thing that we've noticed is and this is maybe more a question of the way that we construct the the products that we actually have here on the Canadian side, but uh with the sector tilts that are that are embedded in in the products. We found that in in the August rebalancing, and this is something we talked about, I think, back in March that I said, you know, this is something I like, do you expect this to happen? I feel like I'm expecting this to happen because I was looking at the average return on invested capital numbers for the energy space. And I was like, these look high enough that they could find themselves overweight in quality. And they have. <laughs> so in our Canadian and U.S. high quality ETFs, uh, you're actually overweight energy, but it's not a factor that generally overweights heavy capex type sectors right like utilities are very rarely overweight Re real estate same thing what's your take on on energy is it 
is it high quality now or is this just a function of a really good short is or basically what i'm trying to ask i'll rephrase that is is that sustainable or is that you know an offset of of you know just energy companies benefiting from higher commodity prices now that that's a million dollar question and uh you know you're you're right um mechanically this you know the energy companies are just printing money right now and you know uh based off of our methodology if they're if the return on capital is high then um you know we're going to overweight those uh sort of uh stocks and sectors and so uh that being said it is it's also the case that historically energy companies have been cyclical you know they it they typically do better when the uh economy mm-hmm. is uh accelerating um you know and, and not slowing down like we've been in um but and so and so to the question of whether or not it's sustainable, um, you know, I think it's uh, definitely a lot of debate uh, because if, if you if you go with the historical average, um, you know, the historical average would suggest that given the economic sensitivity, you know, it's not sustainable and, yeah. and those companies would give give back a lot of those profits. Um, but that's just, you know, looking at a re- you know, rear view mirror, um, you know, that being said. A lot of what I'm seeing just, uh, you know, from a fundamental perspective, and this is, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably always the first person to say to, to, to shy away from when, when people say this time is different or yeah. um, those are famous last words. But it is a case that from a supply demand perspective, there's been such um, under investment in energy uh, over the last, you know, many years um, uh uh, relative to history that it it I can see the scenario where it could be sustainable um uh given that you know uh the energy companies it it typically is is capex intensive but they just haven't invested in capex and and so that's going to keep supply down and that in all things being equal that keeps prices you know up mm-hmm. um and so but you know that being said I mean it's it's energy is a, is a tough call I can I can see the the it could go see it going any either way, um, but right now I think my lean is more toward um, the the latter, which is that it could be sustainable for the fundamental reasons that are different now versus history. Okay, I I like that. It's good. I, I always like to. I feel like I always have to either ask a questions on financials or energy because we're in Canada and that's pretty much all we have in our benchmark. So we'll have to get get some comments on that. Bobby, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time with us today. It's always a pleasure. Um, I know these episodes, I always get good positive feedback on them. So thanks again for doing this. Hopefully we'll have the chance to do it in the new year. Until then, I'll wish you happy holidays. Uh, enjoy some time off. Well, I guess you just came back from vacation. So uh, I guess, um, yeah, have a great rest of your year. And once again, thank you. Thank you. And thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects. Don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a five-star rating or review. Thanks again. See you next time.